Well, I've got quite a few little props here we're going to talk about. I don't know if you saw the article in the paper. If you didn't get a paper, they're out there. You can get them. I got some papers at um, uh, Easy Mart. But it's a, a big, huge, long article. You read the front, it's on the front page of the paper about our church being 125 years old. And it goes through some of the church history. And you, know, you think it's going to be a little short article, and then you open it up to the inside page, and it's like the whole page. <laughs> um, uh, but Marty uh, uh, did a good job on that, uh, the uh, editor of the paper. So uh, if you haven't gotten a chance to look at that, you should look at that. We've actually got a copy of it uh, in the Fellowship Hall. You can take a look at it. I'm going to show you some things from our church history. We're going to talk about that, talk about how God's moved and why God's moved. I'm actually going to read the church history. I have it right here. Um, the history of the church. Uh, we're going to look at that as well. But just some interesting points of artifact here. Uh, I had a guy um, who was on a road trip in California. I've never met the guy. I have no idea who the guy is. Couldn't pick him out of a crowd. He sent a note here to the church a couple years ago that he had found a postcard at a gas station in California with our church on it with just some information about the church being organized in 1896 uh, and about this church building right here. And so we're going to have this postcard as well in that thing. But the guy said, I just saw this in the gas station and thought y'all would appreciate it. And so he just mailed it to us. Um, in this, I'm, a, I'm glad it's in this wrapper because there's no telling how this postcard is. But, um, so that's going to be in there as well as um, we have a citation here from the state I'm going to read you. Uh, about 125 uh, years of service, uh, signed by Dean Vaught, our representative and the Speaker of the House. It says, citation, First Baptist Church to Queen, 125th anniversary. Uh, Whereas First Baptist Church to Queen, which is located in Queen, Arkansas, is now recognized for 125 years of ministry that has supported its congregation, facilitating spiritual growth throughout the years. And whereas First Baptist Church to Queen was founded in 1896 by Pastor Columbus Wardlaw, he led the church's first 18 charter members who were dedicated to Christ and community. This dedication is still present today. And whereas the main objectives of First Baptist Church to Queen are to further the kingdom of God on earth and to render moral and spiritual service to all mankind. And whereas under the leadership of the current pastor, Josh Herwick, First Baptist Church to Queen, will celebrate the remarkable milestone of 125 years of service to God and community on Sunday, July 11, 2021. And whereas the House of Representatives of the 93rd General Assembly of the State of Arkansas takes great pride in recognizing First Baptist Church to Queen and wishes the congregation continued blessings. Now, therefore, pursuant to the motion of Representative Deanne Vaught, the Arkansas House of Representatives directs that this citation be presented on this day, uh, the 11th day of July, 2021. And so we're going to have this on display in there, and it will be hanging in our office um, from here on, uh, just recognizing the faithful service of our church for many, many years. But I've got some things here I want to show you, and this will, again, be on display there in the Fellowship Hall. i put this postcard down here. Uh, searching through many of our old church papers that were in several tubs in our office, we discovered several interesting things. Um, you know, the church, I'm going to read the history in just a second, but the church was organized in July of 1896. 
just 18 people meeting just north of town. They didn't have anywhere else to meet. And then they bought some land the next spring in 1897. And here we have some the uh, articles from the Queen Abstract of those purchases. You'll be able to see this down there, some of the lots that they purchased in, uh, what is it, April 26th, 1897. Uh, the town wasn't even called the Queen then. It was called Township 8. Um, and I would encourage you not to flip too deep into these because uh, some of these people charge not very much for the property. Um, even in 1896, one guy charged 800 bucks. And then for a very small piece of the property they bought, another guy charged $4,400 in 1896. Um, he was proud of his property. <laughs> um, but however it came about, the church purchased this land, and we have three of the sheets here of this land they purchased. It's very fascinating. But also what's great is you, you can see this down in the fellowship hall as well, several of these um, old church record books of membership. Well, this is the oldest one. I, I didn't put it down there yet. It'll be down there in a little bit. Um, because there was a lady who joined the church one year after it was founded uh, in 1897. And she became the church clerk for about 40 years. Um, and it's her record I want, want to read you here. I got it marked on this page. Her name is Mrs. T.A. Johnson. She joined the church July 18th, 1897. And it's written here uh, in pen. And it's all, all these names written here in her hand. And it's all the same handwriting. It's her handwriting. Because I've seen it in other church notes. And she kept record of people joining the church, people being baptized. Uh, here's, here's a note. This guy, uh, it's one of her, um, it looks to be kids or grandkids, was baptized in September of uh, 1932. This guy was baptized, uh, it looks like, September of 1908. That was, oh, that was her husband. So she was a member of the church 11 years before her husband was saved and baptized. Uh, so it's, it, all this stuff will be down there. Uh, we welcome you to look through it all. Just be careful because <laughs> some of it, like this book, is very, very, very old. Um, but we do want you to look through that and see all that God has done uh, and continues to do in the life of his church and uh, see how he has worked throughout the years to do so many great things here in Dequeen. Uh, but let me read the church history. You, you will find some of this very fascinating. Some of you may know some of this information. Some of it may surprise you. Um, but it, it, it's all very uh, powerful of God's movement. So here it is. The First Baptist Church of Dequeen, Arkansas, was organized in July 1896 at the Friendship School, which was located some two miles north of the city. Although the actual date of organization is unknown, it is known that the church had 18 charter members. Reverend Columbus Wardlaw was called as the first pastor of the church, and he served the needs of the church with the assistance of four deacons at the time. In 1897, one year later, Reverend William Todd gave the church a piece of land inside the city limits of Dequeen, upon which the church uh, would build the first building. This building, a wooden structure, was built by the, contributors of the, uh, contra by the contributions of the members and some of the citizens of Dequeen. This structure was completed in 1898, at 321 West Gilson, now where the Legacy Center is located. Uh, it's when the church took the name of First Baptist Church of Dequeen at that date in 1898. Two interesting facts about the construction. Uh, that 
uh, the man for whom the city is named, he gave $100 to the building fund, and upon the completion of construction, the structure is completely debt-free. And you can see a picture of that first building on your bulletin, which we had back there, anniversary edition bulletins. Um, there at the top left is what that building looked like that was built in 1898. Uh, when, the first, when the church was originally founded, it was a missionary Baptist congregation. In 1908, the church voted to affiliate with the Southern Baptist Convention. From the beginning, the church has been concerned with growth, and grow it did. By 1926, there were between 300 and 400 members. One of the old annual reports from the year 1911 records that in that year, the church had a six-piece orchestra, which regularly accompanied the services, including, included in the group, were a clarinet, cornet, a violin, and a bass fiddle. How many of y'all seen a bass fiddle played? much less played in church. As the, con as the church congregation continued to grow, the need for additional space was addressed. In 1926, construction was begun on a new church building to replace the original structure. The educational space was completed in 1928. 1928. If you know your history, you know something happened the next year that would have made it difficult to continue. The reality of the Great Depression, which occurred in 1929, because of that, the auditorium construction was delayed. For a number of years, there was only a vacant concrete slab, but the church never gave up on their plans to build the auditorium. As work on the auditorium was being done, the congregation met in the second story of the DeQueen B building, which you can see the DeQueen B building is still downtown. You can still go and see where they met. For They had no idea how long it would be, but you're about to find out. As the nation overcame the Great Depression and entered into World War II, the resolve to build grew once again. People began to give generously, and even those who were in the armed forces, armed forces sent home portions of their paychecks for the auditorium construction. And in 1949, the goal was reached, and the church was dedicated. Uh, the church dedicated the newly constructed auditorium under the pastor, Reverend Lawson Hatfield, who with his family had come to the Queen from Ashdown. So the church met in the upstairs of the DeQueen B building for 21 years until they finished construction on that auditorium from 1928 to 1949. So in 1949, they built uh, the Rock Church downtown. In the coming years, First Baptist Church was recognized in the Arkansas State Conviction, Convention for its rapid growth. Blessed with the congregation, the church once again faced the need for space. In 1964, under the leadership of D.E. Butler Abington, uh, which Ray Wilson told me a very funny story about him as pastor. You'll have to ask me about that later. Um, the church constructed an education building on the east side of the main building. And in 1966, a pastor came, Reverend Joe Denton, and he immediately became not only the first Baptist pastor, but the community pastor as well. He was affectionately known around the community as Brother Joe. Under his leadership, the church brought, uh, bought several more pieces of property in close proximity to the church. One of those purpose, uh, purchases was Dirk's Lumber Company Clinic, and upon his retirement, Joe Denton was named Pastor Emeritus. In 1977, the church called a young seminary grad to be their pastor, Nick Garland, and he led the church into great opportunity for the Lord. Uh, and two transitions during his time had great uh, profound impact on the church's ministry. One was the formation of a church council, which leads in the ministry, and the other was the organization of the deacons being a ministry team that ministered to the church family 
uh, and Nick Garland and his family left the Queen in 1980, whereupon Victor Gore was called as pastor. Under Victor Gore's leadership, the church staff expanded to three full-time staff members, and the church uh, purchased 25 acres of land west of the city limits for future expansion. This property uh, has, until this building was built, um, it had Bible camps, or it used to be a Bible camp, and today it's where we reside. Uh, Victor Gore left in 1988, and in the interim period after he left, the church made a significant missions decision. Although the Spanish-speaking population of De Queen was rapidly growing, there were no evangelical Baptist churches here. So the church began uh, a work called Iglesia San Juan Batista. The, church, the mission church is now named Iglesia Batista Emmanuel. And through the efforts of Pastor Pete Nunez and Pastor Aurelio Hernandez, it is a growing witness to the Hispanic population. From this mission, uh, the Angel Martinez Baptist Theological Training Center was birthed. This training center, centers, uh, this center offers a theological education for Spanish-speaking pastors and lay people from all around. Uh, in January of 1981, Farron Rogers was called to be the 28th pastor of First Baptist Church. And in 1989, the church began an active youth program and calling Ron Paul to be the minister to music and youth. Uh, the church also created a ministry to homebound members and a television ministry, which televised the church services at the local cable outlet until the, church, or until the cable outlet closed down. Uh, the church was recognized four times in the 90s as one of the top 25 churches in baptism among the Arkansas State Baptist Convention. Uh, in 2002, after a 12-year building project, First Baptist Church moved their congregation to its new home, where it is now, 1535 West Collin Ray Drive. The first service was held on Sunday, December 22, 2002. Farron, uh, the pastor, moved from DeQueen uh, on October 24, 2004, two years later, uh, after he had been the pastor for 15 years. And then in 2006, Charles Hebert was called to be the pastor. Uh, under his leadership, the church expanded its facilities uh, with the edu East Education Wing on that end of the building. Uh, Pastor Charles left in 2012, and the church began asking God what he would have next for the church. That's when Pastor Josh Herwick was called to leave First Baptist Church to Queen in June 2014 and started in August 2014. From that point forward, the church has seen hundreds of decisions for the Lord and hundreds of baptisms. Since before there's been a city of DeQueen, there's been a First Baptist Church to minister to the physical, emotional, and spiritual needs of its people. Throughout the years, the ministry of this church has not only reached our community, but our state and our world. And today it's known for its warm fellowship and its intentional ministry throughout the community, the state, the country, and the world. That's the church history in brief of First Baptist Church DeQueen. And the thing about it is, you, you, there were only mentioned in there a handful of names, but it took God's work in the lives of hundreds, thousands of people to continue the work that God is doing here. Many not named in that church history, many not named even in this record book, many not named in the business meeting notes we have piled up in a closet. People just faithfully doing the work of God, whether they get recognition or not, because it's all about doing it for God not to be seen by people. Just as Paul said, because the moment you start doing something to be seen by people, you stop serving God. And this, this church is built on the rock of salvation in Jesus, 
working through the lives of faithful people, whether they get seen and recognized on this earth or not. But I guarantee you they were when they entered into heaven. And so this faithfulness throughout the history is what we're going to talk today about. You see, that's how the church grew spiritually stronger and has thrived in bringing people to Jesus for 125 years, built on the principles that we're going to look at today. And we're going to start in Mark chapter 12. Mark chapter 12. And I hope you're ready because we're going to look at a lot of Scripture. Because I can guarantee you this church is founded on lots of Scripture. As I saw in some of Paul's pictures this morning, there's Scripture written on the concrete under much of this carpet uh, here. And you, will, you can see on his slideshow, he'll show you in the fellowship hall. But Scripture is the foundation. See, in Mark chapter 12, Jesus has been doing ministry for a little while. And some people did not like the ministry he was doing. It was having some success. People were coming to know the Lord. And one of the scribes, um, the guys who were supposed to be experts in the law, came up to Jesus uh, and his followers. And he heard some of the people in the crowd having a, a heated discussion uh, about the ministry Jesus was doing. And so this scribe asked a question, verse 28 of Mark chapter 12. One of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another. And seeing that he, Jesus, answered them well, he asked, which commandment is the most important of all? So the scribe sees that Jesus is very wise and he's answering everybody great. And so the scribe thinks that he can trap Jesus, that nobody else has been able to trip him up, nobody else has been able to mess up the ministry, and so that he is going to take it under himself because he feels like he's the smartest one in the room. He can do it. So he asks this question. What is the greatest commandment? Knowing that if you say one is the greatest above another, that then you're you know, belittling the others and you don't want to do that. Well, Jesus doesn't shy away from the question at all. Verse 29, Jesus answered him, The most important is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. That encompasses everything. Now, so the man asked, what's the greatest commandment? Well, Jesus doesn't stop at answering that question. He goes a step further and answers a question that wasn't even asked. Jesus says in verse 31, the second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. And so Jesus outlines uh, really how the Christian is supposed to live in the world, a difficult world, a world that is broken, a world that is full of sinful people, even how a Christian is supposed to function in a church that's full of sinful people. Love God and love people. But you can look at that and you can say, that sounds great. I can put that on a bumper sticker. I can put that on a t-shirt. I can put that in the church history. We love God and we love people. But how do you break it down? How do you do that specifically? Well, we're going to look at that. The first thing, so the first thing Jesus said was, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. This is the greatest commandment. So how are we to love God? Well, Jesus tells us this also in John chapter 14, uh, verse 15. Jesus said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. So how are we to love God? By keeping his commandments. But then, okay, what does he command? What does he command? Well, Jesus said that as well. I mean, his what does he command? What is the work of God that he expects of us? Jesus said in John chapter 6, verse 29, this is the work of God, 
that you believe in him and, uh, or you believe in him whom he has sent. So the work of God, following his commandments, is believing in Jesus. That's step one, believing in Jesus. Believing in Jesus. So you love God by believing in Jesus. And what else do you do? I mean, what else has he commanded? Well, just as we witnessed this morning with Caleb in Matthew chapter 28, we're supposed to believe and be baptized. Baptism doesn't save you, but baptism shows the world that you uh, belong to Jesus. It shows the world what's happened within you. Like going under the water represents dying to the old way of living for sin, for yourself. Coming out of the water represents getting a brand new life in Jesus. And so, you, so what does Jesus command? We're supposed to believe in him. We're supposed to be baptized. But also there in Matthew 28, he tells us, believe, be baptized. We're supposed to go do that to others. We're supposed to make disciples of others, helping them to believe, helping them to be baptized, teaching them everything that Jesus has commanded. We're supposed to make disciples. But to make disciples, we've got to first be disciples. So we have to believe. We have to be disciples. So how can we be disciples? Well, being a disciple, being a follower, is having a relationship. Having a relationship with someone. And having a relationship with someone isn't merely meant to be surface level. It's not merely meant to be an acquaintance-style relationship when it comes to Jesus. So when it comes to having a relationship with Jesus, you have to cultivate it. You have to work on it. You have to grow it. It's not the idea of you come to know Jesus one day and you say, okay, Jesus, thank you for saving me. I'll see you on the day I die. It's not that kind of idea. It's a cultivation. It's a process of coming to know him more. So how do we do that then? Well, there's two ways. Primarily, uh, they stem off of the idea that we invest our time with him. But the two ways that we invest our time with him are through scripture and prayer. Through scripture and prayer. Dedicating time intentionally through scripture and prayer. And I don't hear the Lord's voice. Well, here the Lord has written down a bunch of stuff that he has said. And so when you want to know what God says, this is the first place you go. This is the first place you go. Not the internet, not YouTube, not your friend who's going to say what you want him to say. The first place you go is Scripture. You go to Scripture, you say, okay, I can read Scripture, but what's a, what's a process, you know? I mean, how do I read Scripture? How am I supposed, I've never, maybe you've never dove, dove deep into Scripture, and you don't even know where to start. Maybe you've been a believer for 40 years, and you don't know where to start. That's fine. That's fine. You've got to start somewhere. You don't know where to start until you start. So you start, let's just say, start with Scripture. Start cultivating your relationship with Jesus. Start with one verse. Start with one verse. Just don't, don't bite off more than you can chew at the beginning. I mean, if you go to the, uh, to the gym to work out, you're not going to put, you know, five 45-pound plates on each side of the, you know, the, uh, 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 the bar before you bench. You're going to kill yourself. Don't do that. You've got to start with something small. Start with one verse. You say, where do I start? You can start the book of John. You can start the book of Galatians. You can start John 3.16. Start there and try to digest. I guarantee you there's believers who've been believers for many, many years. I've been a believer for 32 years this year and don't even begin to understand the vastness of John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. That word literally means in the original language uh, 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 one who has a unique relationship with God that no one else has. And he does. That he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him, 
whoever, anybody, even people who are not nice, even people who are straight up hateful, whoever believes in him can have eternal life, will never die. Start with John 3.16. You say, okay, I got John 3.16, now where do I go from there? Pull out your phone or go to Bible.com. They do a verse a day on there. Set it to pop up on your phone. Start with one verse and move on from there. Move on from one verse to a paragraph. Start reading a paragraph at a time, a day. Just digest that. Once you get the hang of that, move on to a chapter a day. Move on to a page a day. Move on from there. Get a reading plan on the Bible app. Like the one I'm doing right now is, uh, let me see if I can pull it up here. On the Bible app. My Bible has been moving slow right, lately. Uh, the one-year Bible, New Living Translation one. It's the one I'm doing right now. Start with one. And that's the one-year Bible. So that gives you a reading from the Old Testament, a reading from the New Testament, a reading from Psalms, and a reading from Proverbs every day. And it's just bite-sized chunks here and there. You can read it. You can set it to do audio, and it will play through each one of those for you. So you can listen. Maybe you're more of an audio uh, person, and, and you, you, you take in the information better that way. Um, then do that. Okay, you're, you've got the reading nailed down. You're doing that every day. Okay, where do I move on from here? Do more than one reading a day because you will find the more scripture you ingest, you're going to discover the more you're going to need. That You can never get enough. Never get enough. I mean, I've told this story in here before about uh, uh, um, George Mueller who would write down his prayers and had over 20,000 of his prayers answered and I believe that was because he read through Scripture 300 times in the course of his lifetime. He wasn't even saved until his 20s, and that's when he started. That's a lot. Of, you can do the math in your head. That's a lot of Scripture, reading it all day long. Every, and he wasn't a man who, would, who had nothing to do. He worked until the day he died, taking care of orphans in, I think it was Bristol, wasn't it, Katie? It was Bristol. Um, phenomenal man of God, following Jesus, reading scripture constantly, leading people to Christ constantly. And his scripture was the foundation of his prayer life. So you begin to do a reading a day, or a, you know, a verse a day, and you build up to a reading a day, and you move on from there to several readings a day. And I mentioned it last week, too, uh, in, in counseling with someone, that if your mind begins to run to a negative place or a place that is not God-honoring, then at that moment, you need to replace those thoughts with more scripture. Do another reading at that moment. And at the end of the day, see what the Lord has for you. So, love God, follow his commandments. You, you believe in him. You, you spend time cultivating your relationship with him. And it starts with scripture building up how much scripture, how, how spiritually strong you are in scripture. And then you start with prayer. You start with prayer. And prayer is one of the most often neglected pieces of the Christian life. Many believers, us, only hit the surface level stuff and never move on from there. I, I, there was a man, he was one of my mentors. He, uh, he, he's in heaven now, but I would meet with him monthly at a Mexican food restaurant in Dallas, a man named um, Wayne Allen, a uh, great man of God. Uh, and he was a preacher, I don't, I don't even know how long, he, the last church he was at, he was at for 35 years. Um, and I asked him one time when we met together, 
if you could go back and do one thing over in your life, I mean, this is one of the most godly people I've ever known. One thing you could do over, what would it be? And he said, I would pray more. And he's a guy that I've seen been in his prayers. I mean, this guy can pray the paint off the walls. And he's saying he, 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 he would pray more. We can always pray more. And so where do you start with? You've got to start somewhere with prayer. You start with your requests, making prayer requests, which is something we, most of us will do. Start making prayer requests in the morning. Add some prayer time uh, at, at a prayer at mealtimes to your prayer requests in the morning. Add some prayer at bedtime. You move on from there. Add praises to your prayer. Don't just make prayer requests. Add praises to your prayers. Add praises. Add, uh, add a prayer time in your, own mental mind, in your own mind when you enter into conversations with other people, like Nehemiah from Nehemiah chapter 1, walking into the king. He internally prayed as he's speaking to the king. Make those uh, intentional efforts. Pray in those moments. Pray when you open social media. Add time to pray when you turn on the TV. Add time to pray maybe with someone when you end the conversation. I knew another guy, another mentor of mine. He would be having a conversation with you and would not give any preamble. Like, let's, okay, that's great. Let's, let, let me pray for you. He would be in conversation mid-sentence. And he'd be, okay, that's, and dear God, thank you. And he would just start praying. Just whenever he, I mean, just boom, pray. And... Um, and so, you get some funny reactions when you would watch him on Sunday mornings, and he'd be in conversation with people, and then he would do that. And the people would be standing there, kind of, kind of, you know, doing kind of this, kind of, like, kind of one eye open. Is he still going? Okay. Uh, but prayer was such a vital part of who he was that he just naturally flowed into it in his conversation. And I guarantee you, praying with someone will change their day, possibly their week or month. Don't just be as most of us are. Oh, I will pray for you, and we forget about it. That's why I have a prayer journal right down the front pew. I write them down because I know I'm going to forget. And I pray for every prayer in my prayer journal until God answers them every single morning. Maybe that's what you need to do, write them down. Or maybe you just need to say, okay, I'll pray for you. Actually, I'm going to pray for you right now. And you all pray right then and there. I guarantee you it will have a profound effect on them and you. And so our prayer life then grows. You begin, you grow, and you go more. And then you want to step it up a notch, keep a prayer journal. You want to kick it up to the nth degree? I mean, this is something that's going to change your life. I've talked to some of you about this. Add listening to your prayers. Before you start listing our prayer requests, and, and this is advanced stuff, because this, <laughs> this will be one of the most difficult things you do your whole life. Because like, you start trying to listen to God speak before you speak. Every crazy thought is going to come into your mind to distract you. I mean, way out in left field thoughts. I hadn't thought about that thing in 20 years. And it's going to, because the enemy is going to try to keep you from hearing the voice of God. Just start trying to listen to God's voice. Maybe just 30 seconds. Maybe even maybe 15, 10 seconds. Just try it. Just try to quiet, be still and know that I am God. Be still and know that I am God. And listen for the voice of the Lord. Now, if you're not reading scripture, you're not going to know what he sounds like. Let me just put that out there. The only way you're going to recognize that it's him speaking is if you have a foundation of, if, if you understand his voice. 
Just like if somebody you've known for years and years calls you, you're going to know who their voice is without having to see it on the caller ID. You can recognize God's voice if you've been spending time with him. And so you, you hear him speak then, but that comes from listening. Listen to the Lord. So you cultivate your relationship with God after having believed. You cultivate it through scripture and through prayer. That's how spiritual growth develops. That's what this church has been about, scripture and prayer, communicating with the Lord, praying for changed lives, praying for people to come to know Jesus. I was looking through my prayer journal this morning as I was praying, and every single time I prayed for somebody to get saved, there's a yes next to it. I was, I was just looking through, I was flipping through and seeing all the prayers that God's answered. And Just in the last few months, when I prayed for salvation here and salvation here and salvation here, God said, he answered them with yes. One, I mean, VBS. I was praying for salvations of VBS, and we had eight get saved. I was praying for one, <laughs> and we had eight, and God answered that in a phenomenal way. Uh, and so we're praying constantly, praying for people to come to know Jesus as well as our own selves. So the greatest commandment, love the Lord your God. You love the Lord your God by investing in your relationship with God, by allowing his influence into your life uh, through Scripture and prayer. But what about that second greatest commandment? Love your neighbor as yourself. And we know from another passage of Scripture, Jesus told a parable along with that statement. The neighbor, love your neighbor, um, in the parable of the Good Samaritan. So who's our neighbor? Anybody and everybody. But how are we supposed to love them? How? Say, okay, I love them. I mean, I like them very much, but I love them. I don't want them to, you know, suffer a terrible, painful death. But that's not what he's talking about. Not love by, you know, neglecting them. But loving them is an active thing. How are we to love one another? Which he's, uh, is written all over the New Testament. Love one another, love one another, love one another. Well, we get a glimpse at this in the idea of what church is supposed to be. In Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24, author of Hebrews writes it like this. Let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day, that's judgment day, the end, drawing near. I want to focus there for a second on verse 24. Consider how to stir one another up to love and good work. So not only are we to love one another, but we're supposed to be encouraging each other to be more loving. So we've got to consider it. That means taking careful consideration, intentional effort to figure out how to make each other love more. You ever tried to make somebody love more? It's not easy. He says, consider how to stir one another, stir them up, stimulate a change in motivation or attitude in their loving spirit. Let us consider how to stir one another up towards love and good works. But notice the end of that sentence. It's not the end. There's a comma. There's a comma there. And so what follows is directly connected to this verse. So you stir one another up, how? By not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some. Now back then, in the first century, 
Some of the believers in Jesus were gung-ho and fired up, and they neglected to come together and gather together. And the word he uses there, to gather together, this is an official gathering. This is a large group gathering is what he's talking about in Hebrews chapter 10. Now, that was a first century problem. People today don't have that issue, right? Neglecting to meet together in, in, in large group service. That was back then. They don't do that anymore. But, uh, <laughs> but it's tied to stirring one another up to love and good works by not neglecting to meet together. So the love and the good works that are being considered in verse 24 are further described by those qualifying statements there in verse 25. The commanded love and good works, uh, they were encouraged in the life of the believer through the action of meeting together. The meeting, large group gathering, this right here, the meeting produced more love and more good works. However, some developed a habit of neglecting that opportunity to come together and the purpose of encouragement of gathering together. So that gathering was supposed to stir one another up towards love and good works. The gathering, the church service, wasn't supposed to be about, wasn't supposed to be about me, about what I like and what I want. You notice in that verse, Stacy, jump back to verse 24. You notice in that verse, he says, stir one another to love and good works. It's about other people. It's not about, let's get real for a second, just as Paul was in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. It's not about whether you like the style of music or not. It's not about whether you like the way each other dresses or not. It's not about whether you like the preacher or not. It's about stirring one another towards love and good works. If God planted you in a place with the spiritual gifts you have, it's to stir one another up towards love and good works. Yeah, you, you will be encouraged in the process, absolutely. But it's not about you. It's not about me. It's a realization I've had to come to in these 32 years of knowing Jesus. It's about Jesus and about furthering Jesus in the lives of other people. It's about stirring one another up towards love and good works. And that's what the author of Hebrews was writing to them, trying to get them to understand. It's not about you. It's about each other. It's about each other and encouraging one another and pointing each other to Jesus. That's the most important thing. Stirring one another up towards love and good works in a large group setting. But church gatherings aren't just large groups. There's also small groups, and we see this in Scripture. The actual, the, the blueprint for small group gatherings are laid out in the book of Acts. Acts chapter 2, verse 42 through 47. This is the very first time a bunch of Christians got together. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, that's scripture, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. They were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, now that's the key phrase, day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, so they were having a large group at the temple, having a small group in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day. There's that phrase again, those who were being saved. So small groups, the blueprint is life daily together. Daily parts in each other's life. That, 
in today's modern world with modern technology, you don't even have to gather to be in each other's lives. I mean, that has profound effect, and you should. But you can be in each other's lives through text. You can encourage one another throughout the week, through messaging, through a variety of ways. FaceTime. Maybe you're a FaceTimer, and you like to see other people's faces. Then you can do that as well. But it's involvement with each other. We see this again in Acts chapter 4. We saw this just a week or two ago. Uh, uh, Peter and John were arrested. They were led out of jail, having their lives threatened, and the first thing they did is they ran to their small group. Acts chapter 4, verse 23. When they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and elders had said to them. And when they had heard it, they lifted their voices together to God. So they gathered with their small group in a house, and they prayed. And they prayed. And this idea of doing life together is from the foundation of the world. From the very first human created, the only time there's ever been one person on the planet by themselves, when God made Adam. You know, every day when God made something in creation, maybe we need to do a study of creation. Every day when God created something, he ended the day by saying, it is good, until he made man. And then what did he say? It is not good. Take that as you will. But that's not where the sentence ends. He said, it is not good that man should be alone. <laughs> that's uh, Genesis 2, 18. It is not good that man should be alone. And so the first thing he did for humanity was created a small group. He made a partner, and they worked together. In Ecclesiastes chapter 4, wisest man who ever lived wrote this. Two are better than one, because they have a good reward for their toil. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him who is alone when he falls and has, no, has not another to lift him up. Again, if two lie down together, they keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? And though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him. A threefold cord is not quickly broken. Look at that verse for a second. The illustration he's given in those verses, 9 through 12, have always been about two. When two are better than one, two walking together, one falls, he lifts him up. Two lie together and keep warm. When one, uh, a man uh, might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him. But the ending illustration is about three. If two are gathered in the name of Jesus, who is the third? Who is the one binding them together? Christ. Two are better than one. And so how are we supposed to then operate in a small group? If we're gathered together, what are we supposed to do? What is it supposed to look like? Paul says this in Galatians chapter 6. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Bear one another. I guarantee you every single person in this room has some sort of burden. Some of us think our burdens are, more, are heavier than other people's. They don't know. They don't know the troubles I've seen. They don't know my sorrows. But everybody's got a burden. And if we're supposed to be together to bear one another's burdens and the struggle that is there, maybe it might even help us understand the other person a little better that we may not like very much. Because maybe there's a burden that we don't even see. We're supposed to bear one another's burdens, bear them, carry them, walk with them, pray with them, as a daily walking, as we've seen in Acts 2 and in Acts 4. 
bearing one another's burdens. Again, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 15. Speaking the truth in love, we're to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in, oh, there's that word again, love. When each part is working properly, it builds itself up in love. When a part's not working properly, there's a problem. The mechanism breaks down. And so if we're building each other up in love, if, if we're making it our effort as you know, uh, Hebrews chapter 10 to stir one another up towards love, we're bearing one another's burdens, we're gathering in a large group to, to encourage one another, we're gathering in small groups to, 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 to bear the burdens, to stir one another up, to build each other up, uh, we're using our spiritual gifts in those encouragements, then we begin to build each other up in love. And there's even a moment you know, I've said it before, but we're going to look at it now. Even Jesus, not only did Jesus have a small group, he utilized his small group. In Matthew chapter 26, moments before he's arrested to be crucified, verse 36, Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to his disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray. And taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. He's got a burden. And he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful. He revealed his burden. It's very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch with me. Watch with me. Be with me. Watch with me. Colossians chapter 4 verse 2, be devoted to prayer, being watchful and thankful. He's saying, watch with me in prayer. Watch with me. Be with me. Jesus, utilizing his small group of, as he knows best, very flawed individuals, but revealing a burden within him, asking them to watch with him. And in another portion of scripture, he asked them to pray with him. So large group gatherings and small group gatherings are his expectations for us. But those gatherings are not supposed to be centered around us. They're supposed to be about encouraging someone else, carrying someone else's burdens. But <laughs> we tend to make it about ourselves when we say things like, well, I'm not going to go because I, really, I just need some more sleep or I, yeah, I just need a break. I prefer really a different style of music or a different style of preaching. Or, or, or here's the biggie. It's not meeting my needs. And in those moments, what we're doing is we're making it about us and not about Jesus and not about other people, not about stirring one another up towards love. We want all the stirring. We don't want to do any stirring. But the instruction is to stir one another up. And so how did this church make it 125 years and on into the future? It's by selflessness. Pursuing Jesus, encouraging one another up in love. So the question is not how my needs can be met. The question is, how can I, I, me, with my experience, 
with my giftedness, with my skills and abilities, am I meeting someone's needs today? Here's the question you should ask yourself as you walk the hallways. Not, I wonder what we've got down there for lunch. It smells fantastic, by the way. It smells great down there. Thank you. It's, that's not the question. The question isn't about me. It's not about me. The question is, who can I encourage today? Looking around the faces as you walk out those doors. The question is, who can I encourage? The question, whose burden can I lift today? God planted you here to be a part of what he's doing. An active part. Not passive, not simply receiving, but being a conduit, being, uh, allowing him to flow through you and work through you into the lives of others. So that's the question, or the questions. Who can I encourage today? Whose burden can I help lift today? Every Sunday coming to church, the question should be, okay, I'm walking into the building. Who can I encourage? Whose burden can I lift? Because everybody's got a burden. Everybody needs encouragement. You may not know that person you're speaking to had a fight walking out the door before they came to church. And you have no idea. Or they've been carrying something around for, for, for 50 years and it's been th this terrible nagging within them and you had no idea that God placed you in that person's life to bring healing and not a, making the burden heavier. So of all the people here, who did God orchestrate for you to meet today to bring encouragement and to make their burden lighter because that's the instruction we get bear one another's burdens stir one another up towards love through encouragement he placed you here for that purpose for that purpose so we're supposed to love one another we're supposed to love god we're supposed to love people let me break it down for you into two phrases we love god by investing in his influence. That's scripture and prayer. We love God by investing in his influence in our lives. And we grow that over time through more prayer, through more scripture. We love God by investing in his influence. That's through praise. That's through worship. That's through all aspects. We love God by investing in his influence. And the more influence he has on us, the more then we will be able to pour into others. Because not only do we love God by investing in his influence in us, we love people by investing God's influence in them. That's how we stir them up towards love and good works. We invest the influence that God has in us. We invest it back into those around us. That's how we bear each other's burdens. That's how we encourage one another. We, we invest God's influence in us into somebody else. And we pour into them what God's been pouring into us. And God will never let you get empty. If you keep investing in the influence he has in you, and you invest that influence into others, you will never find yourself empty, ever, ever. You may feel tired at times. You may feel exhausted at times. You may feel tried at times. Yes, because you have a temporary body, and it gets tired. But that doesn't mean you stop investing. Just because you're tired of getting up and getting your kids breakfast every morning means you can stop. Maybe when they're old enough to cook you breakfast. We're not there yet. 
but you still have a responsibility. You still have a purpose. God entrusted those kids to you for a reason. In the same way, God entrusted you in this church, in this community for a reason. Who can you encourage today? Whose burden can you lift today? Maybe you need to be encouraged today by the Lord. And that begins, as we saw, the first work of the Lord, the first, first step in, in, in uh, his commandment is to believe in Jesus. Believe that Jesus is God's son. And he died so all your sins would be forgiven. And he rose from the dead so you can live after you die. That is step one. And if you want to believe in Jesus, then do it today, right here, right now. Say, I believe in Jesus. I will believe that he is God's son. That he died so all my sins would be forgiven. That he rose from the dead so I can live after I die. And you can believe. I, I want to talk to you about that. I want to talk to you about that. Whether during the song we're going to sing in just a moment, you can come. I'm inviting you to come and talk to me. You can talk to me after the service, just like I did uh, two weeks ago with Caleb. Talk to, you, talk to me after the service. I'd love to have that conversation with you about what God's doing in your life and what you wanting to believe. Or if you're watching online, or even if you're in a room, you can do this. On our website, thequeen.church, uh, uh, one of the main cards there says, I made a decision. You click on that, and, and you just fill out the form. I think it's name, phone number, email, and then what your decision is. Just four little boxes. What your decision is. And it sends an email straight to my phone, and I will call you this afternoon and celebrate with you about that. But if you want to follow Jesus today, this is where it begins. That's where it starts. That's why First Baptist of Queen was started in July 1896, to bring the message of Jesus to this part of the world. Will you believe today? And if you believe today, then walk out asking yourselves those two questions. Who can I encourage today? Whose burden can I lift today? Why did God have me and these other people here who is he aiming me at? Maybe it's even somebody in your own house. Who can you encourage? Whose burden can you lift?